Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. And we are coming to you live from the Disneyland Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) And it's noisy here, remember? It's noisy. Peyton is snacking on a very healthy morning snack. She is... Morning? Yeah, it's morning. Well, it's it's 10 something. And she's eating a Mickey-shaped Rice Krispie dipped in chocolate and then also dipped in mini M&Ms. How's your healthy snack, Peyton? Oh, Oh, she's... I don't know if you heard that, but she said, oh, it's delicious. Okay. I said, oh, delicious. Oh, oh, delicious. Okay. All right, a series of unfortunate events, book the six, The Ursit's Elevator, chapter three. If you were to take a plastic bag and place it inside, your lar- inside a large bowl and then using a wooden spoon, stir the bag around and around the bowl, you could use the expression, a mixed bag, to describe what you had in front of you. But it would not be the same expression in using the way I am going to use it now. Although a mixed bag sometimes referred to a plastic bag that has a stirred that has been stirred in a mixed bowl, but more oftentimes it's used to describe a situation that has both good and bad parts. An afternoon at a movie theater, for instance, would be a mixed bag if your favorite movie were showing, but you had to eat gravel instead of popcorn. A trip to the zoo would be very a mixed bag if the weather were beautiful, but the the man, but all of the man and woman eating lions were running around loose. And for the Baudelaire orphans, their first few days with the squalors were one of the most mixed bags they have yet encountered because the good parts were very good, but the bad parts were simply awful. One of the good parts was that the Baudelaire's were living once more in the city where they were, were born and raised. After the Baudelaire's parents died and after their disastrous stay with Count Olaf, the three children had been sent to a number of remote locations to live and they sorely missed the familiar sounds of their home. Each morning after Esme left for work, Jerome would take the children to some of their favorite places in town. Violet was happy to see that their favorite exhibits were in the the Verne Invention Museum had not been changed so she could take another look at it at the mechanical demonstrations that had inspired her to be an inventor when she was two years old. Klaus was delighted to revisit the Akmovtova bookstore where his father used to take him as a special treat and to buy an atlas or volume of an encyclopedia. And Sunny was interested in visiting the Pincus Hospital where she was born, although her memories of this place were a little fuzzy. But in the afternoons, the three children would return to 667 Dark Avenue, and it was this part of the Baudelaire situation that was not nearly as pleasant. For one thing, the penthouse was simply too big. Besides the 71 bedrooms, there were a number of, of living rooms, dining rooms, breakfast rooms and snacks rooms, sitting rooms, standing rooms, ballrooms, bathrooms, kitchens, and assortments of rooms that seemed to have no purpose at all. The penthouse was so enormous that the Baudelaire orphans often found themselves hopelessly lost inside of it. Violet would leave her bedroom to go brush her teeth and not only find her way back and not only find her way but not 
hello, not find her way back for an hour. Klaus would accidentally leave his glasses on a kitchen counter and waste the whole afternoon trying to find the right kitchen counter. And Sunny would often find a very comfortable spot for sitting and biting things and be unable to find it the next day. It was often difficult to spend any time with Jerome simply because it was very difficult to find him amid all of the fancy rooms of their new home. And the Baudelaire scarcely saw Esme at all. They knew she went off to work every day and returned in the evenings, but at the times that she was in the apartment with them, the three children scarcely got a glimpse of the city's sixth most important financial advisor. It was as if she had forgotten all about the new members of her family or was simply more interested in lounging around the rooms in their apartment rather than spending time with the three siblings. But the Baudelaire orphans did not really mind that Esme was absent so often. They much preferred spending time with one another or with Jerome rather than participating in endless conversations about what was in and what was out. Even when the Baudelaire stayed in their bedrooms, the three children did not have a splendid time. As he promised, Jerome had given Violet the room with a large wooden bench, which was indeed perfect for keeping tools. But Violet could not find tools in the entire penthouse. She found it odd that such an enormous penthouse apartment Uh, would not even have a socket wrench or a measly pair of pliers. But Esme haughtily explained when Violet asked her one evening that tools were out. Klaus did have a a squalor library next to his bedroom, and it was a large and comfortable room with hundreds of books on its shelves. But the middle Baudelaire was disappointed to find every single book was merely a description of what had been in and out during various times in history. Klaus had tried to interest himself in such books of this type, but it was so dull to read snooty books like Boots Were, Boots were In in 1812 or Trout. In, fancy, in France, they're out. But Klaus found himself spending scarcely any time in the library at all. And poor Sonny feared, fared no better, or fared no better. A phrase here which means also became bored in the bedroom. In her bedroom. Jerome had thoughtfully placed a number of toys in her room, but they were sort of toys designed for softer-toothed babies, squishy stuffed animals, cushioned balls, and assorted colorful pillows, none of which it was the least bit of fun to bite. But what really what really mixed the Baudelaire bag was not the overwhelming size of the squalor apartment, or the disappointment of tool benches without tools, or a library without interesting books, or a non-chewable item found in the items of amusement. What really troubled these children was the thought that the quagmire triplets were undoubtedly experiencing things that were much worse. With every passing day, their worry for their friends felt like a heavy load on the Baudelaire's shoulders, and they only had seemed, it only had seemed heavier because the squalors refused to be of any assistance. Oh, I'm very, very tired of discussing your little twin friends, Esme said one day as the Baudelaire's and the squalors sipped aquas martinis one evening in a living room that the children had never seen before. I know you're worried about them, but uh, it's getting a bit boring blabbing on about it. Well, we didn't mean to bore you, Violet said, not adding that's terribly rude to tell people that their troubles are boring. Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't, Jerome said, picking the olive out of his fancy glass and popping it into his mouth before turning to his wife. The children are concerned, Esme, which is perfectly understandable. I know Mr. Pooh is... Mr. Pooh... Mr. Poe is doing all he can, but maybe we can put our heads together and come up with something else. I don't have time to put my head together, Esme said. 
in the in auction the in auction is coming up and i have to devote all of my energy to making sure it's a success the in auction an auction jerome's playing it's a sort of sale everyone gets together in a large room and the auctioneer show the auctioneer shows off a bunch of things that are available for purchase if you see something you like you call it how much you're willing to pay for it it's called a bid then somebody else might call out a bid and somebody else might whoever wants whoever wants it calls out a bid and whoever calls out the highest price wins the auction and buys the item in question it's terribly exhausting. Your mother used to love them. I remember one time. Oh, you forgot the most important part, Esme interrupted. It's called the in auction because we're only selling things that are in. I always organize it, and it's one of the most smashing events of the year. Smashy? Sunny asked. In this case, Klaus explains to his younger sister, the word smashing doesn't mean that things got smashed, <clears throat> smashed up. It just means fabulous. And it is fabulous, Esme said, finishing her aquas martini. We hold the auction at the Veblen Hall, and we auction off only the innest things we can find. And best of all, all the money goes to a good cause. Which good cause, Violet asked. asked. Esme clapped her, hand, <laughs> clapped her hands, her long-nailed hands together with glee. Me! Every last bit of money that people pay at the auction goes right to me. Isn't that smashing? Um, actually, dear, Jerome said, I was thinking that this year, perhaps we should give the money to a good cause. For instance, I was just reading about this family of seven. The mother and father lost their jobs, and now they're so poor that they can't even afford to live in a one-bedroom apartment. We might send some of the auction money to people like them. Oh, God, don't talk nonsense, Esme said crossly. If we give money to poor people, then they won't be poor anymore. Besides, this year we're going to make heaps of money. And I had lunch with 12 millionaires this morning, and 11 of them said that they were definitely going to attend the inn auction. Can you hear the people vacuuming upstairs? Should we pause and wait till they're done? I think we're going to wait till they're done. Hold on, guys. <laughs> okay let's try that again hotels are very loud places to uh to record, record. <laughs> yeah all right the last sentence was i had lunch with with 12 millionaires this morning and 11 of them said that they were definitely going to attend the in auction the 12th one has to go to a birthday party just think of the money i'll make jerome maybe we could use to move to a bigger apartment but we just moved a few weeks ago, Jerome said. I'd rather spend money on putting an elevator back in use. It's very tiring to climb all the way up to the penthouse. There you go, talking nonsense again, Esme said. If I'm not listening to, if I'm not listening to my orphans babble about their kidnapped friends, I'm listening to you talk about things like elevators. Oh, out, about out things like elevators. Well, we have no more time for chit-chat in any case. Gunther is stopping by tonight, and I want you, Jerome, to take the children out for dinner. Who's Gunther? Jerome asked. Gunther is the auctioneer, of course, Esme replied. He's supposed to be the innest auctioneer in town, and he's going to help me organize the auction. He's coming over tonight to discuss the auction catalog, and we don't want to be disturbed. That's why I want you to take the children out to dinner and give us a little privacy. Okay, this lady sounds like a total brat and also obviously the auctioneer is going to be Olaf well I mean I think everybody can guess that yeah um but I was going to teach the children how to play chess tonight Jerome said no 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 
Esme said. You're, you're going out. It's all arranged. I made a reservation at Cafe Salmonella. Oh, Salmonella. That's a, do you know what Salmonella is? It's a bacteria that makes you sick. For seven o'clock. It's six o'clock now, so you should get moving. You, you want to allow plenty of time to walk down those stairs before you leave, children. I have a present for each of you. Oh, but before you leave, children, I have a present for each of you. At this, the Baudelaire children were taken aback, a phrase here which means surprised that someone who, would, who was so selfish had purchased gifts for them. But sure enough, Esme re- uh, reached behind the dark red sofa and was sitting on and, bought out, and brought out three shopping bags that had the words boutique written on them in fancy <laughs> curly script. With an elegant gesture, Esme handed a bag to each Baudelaire. I thought of you when I thought of you when I bought you something you really wanted. Wait, I thought if I bought you something that you really wanted, she said, you might stop all of this chatter about the quagmires. What Esme means, Jerome added hurriedly, is that we want you to be happy here in our home, even when you're worried about your friends. That's not at all what I meant, Esme said, but never mind, open the bags, kids. The Baudelaire's opened their presents. I'm sorry to say that the shopping bags were mixed bags as well. There were many, many things that are difficult in this life, but one thing that isn't difficult is figuring out whether someone is excited or not when they open up a present. If someone is excited, they will often put exclamation points at the end of their sentences to indicate their excited, excited tone of voice. If they say, oh, for instance, the exclamation point would indicate that the person is saying, oh in an excited way rather than simply saying oh with a comma after it which could indicate that the present is somewhat disappointing oh violet said as she opened her present oh klaus said as he opened his oh sunny said as she tore hers open with her teeth pinstripe suits i knew you'd be excited esme said you must have been mortified the last few days walking around in the city without wearing pinstripes pinstripes are in orphans pinstripes are in and orphans are in so just imagine how you'll be when you orphans are wearing pinstripes no wonder you're so excited well they didn't sound excited when they opened the presents jerome said and i don't want to i don't blame them Esme, I thought we said that we'd buy Violet a toolkit. She's very enthusiastic about inventing something, and I thought we'd import that, support that enthusiasm. But I'm enthusiastic about pinstripe suits, too. Oh, oh, but I'm excited to... Oh, sorry, I thought that was going to be the other lady. Well, but I'm enthusiastic about pinstripe suits, too, Violet said, knowing that you should always say that you're delighted with the present, even when you don't like it at all. Thank you very much. And Klaus was supposed to get a good almanac jerome confused i told you about his interest in international dateline and an almanac is a perfect book to learn all about that oh no i'm very interested in pinstripes said klaus who could lie as well as his sister when need when the need arose i really appreciate this gift and sunny jerome said we were going to get her a large square of bronze it would have been attractive and easily biteable I dream, Sunny said, which meant something along the lines of, I love my suit. Thank you very much. Even though she thought she didn't mean it one bit. I know we discussed buying those silly items, Esme said with a wave of her long hand. 
But tools have been out for weeks. Almanacs have been out for months. And I received a phone call this afternoon informing me that large bronze squares are not expected to be back in for at least another year. What's in now is Penstride's Jerome, and I don't appreciate your trying to teach my new children that they should ignore what's in and what's out. Don't you want what's best for our orphans? Of course, Jerome sighed. I haven't thought of it that way. Esme, well, children, I do hope you like your gifts, even though they don't exactly match up to your interests. Why don't you go change into your new suits, and we'll wear them to dinner. <gasps> oh, yes, Esme said. Cafe Salmonelle is going to be the Innis restaurant. In fact, it was one of the Innis restaurants. In fact, I think that they don't even let you eat there if you're not wearing a pinstripe, so go change. But hurry up. Gunther is due to arrive any minute. We'll hurry, Klaus pointed out, and thank you for our gifts again. <gasps> oh, you're very welcome, Jerome said. Oh, you're very welcome, Jerome said with a smile, and the children smiled back at him. It's hard to guess who's talking when there's so many people, <laughs> like in one area. They walked out of the living room and down the long hall, across the kitchen, through another living room, past four bedrooms, and so on and so on and so on, until eventually finding their way to their bedrooms. They stood together for a good moment outside those three bedroom doors, looking sadly at their shopping bags. I don't know how we're going to wear these clo- these things, Violet said. I don't either, Klaus said. And it's all the worst. And it's all the worst knowing that we that we almost got presents we really wanted. Prue quitty, Sunny agreed gloomily. Listen to us, Violet said. We should hope. We sound hopelessly spoiled. We're living in an enormous apartment. We each have our own room. The doorman promised to watch out for Count Olaf, and at least one of our new guardians is an interesting person. Yet, we're standing here complaining. You're right, Klaus said. We should make the best of things. Get a lousy, getting a lousy present isn't really worth complaining over, not when our friends are in such terrible danger. We're really lucky to be here at all. Chital, Sunny said, which meant something like, that's true, we should stop complaining and go change into our new outfits. The Baudelaire stood together for another moment and nodded, for, nodded resu- resolutely, a phrase here which means tried, tried to make themselves feel un, feeling ungrateful and put on the suits. But even though they didn't want to seem spoiled, even though they knew their situation was not a terrible one, and even though that they had less than an hour to change into their suits, find Jerome, walk down all those hundreds of stairs, and the three children could not seem to move. They simply stood in front of their bedroom doors and stared into the bags from the inn boutique. Of course, finally, Klaus said, no matter how lucky we are, the fact remains that these pinstripe suits are entirely too big for us. Klaus spoke the truth. It was a truth that might help you understand why the Baudelaire's were so disappointed with what there was in their bags. And it was the truth that might help you understand why the Baudelaire's were so reluctant to go into their rooms and change into their pinstripe suits. And it was the truth that became even more obvious when the Baudelaire's finally went into their rooms, opened their bags, and put on their gifts that Esme had given them. It is often difficult to tell a piece of clothing will fit you or not until you try it on. But in the Baudelaire's case, they could tell instantly the first look in the shopping bag that these clothes dwarfed them by comparison. The explanation dwarfed them by comparison has nothing to do with dwarves, who are dull creatures in fairy tales who spend most of their time whistling and cleaning. Dwarfed by comparison simply means that one, one thing seems small when compared to another. And a mouse would be dwarfed by the comparison with an ostrich. 
which is much bigger, and an ostrich would be dwarfed by the comparison of the city of Paris. And the Baudelaire's were dwarfed by the comparison with the pinstripe suit. When Violet put on the pants of her suit, the leg of her suit stretched so much further out than the legs of her body that it was hard to see if she had two huge noodles instead of feet. When Klaus put his jacket on over his suit, the sleeves fell far, far past his hands, so his arms looked as if they had shrunk up inside his body. And Sunny's suit dwarfed her so much by comparison that it was if she had pulled the covers over her head instead of changing into clothes. When the Baudelaire stepped back out of the bedrooms and met up again in the hallway, they were so dwarfed by comparison that they scarcely recognized one another. You look like you're skiing, Klaus pointed out to his older sister's pant legs, except your skis are made of clothes instead of titanium alloy. titanium alloy. You look like you remembered to put on your jacket but forgot to put your arms on, Violet replied with a grin. <laughs> Sunny shrieked, even though her siblings couldn't understand what she was saying beneath all the pinstriped clothes, all the pinstriped cloth. Goodness, Sunny Violet said, I thought you were a lump in the carpet. Here, we better just get one of the sleeves on the suit around you. Maybe we can find a pair of scissors and... <laughs> Sunny interrupted. Oh, don't be silly, Sunny Klaus said. We've seen you in your underwear hundreds of times, and one more time won't matter. But Klaus was wrong. He wasn't wrong about seeing her underwear. If you're a baby, your family will see you in your underpants all the time, and there's no being embarrassed about that. But he was wrong, thinking about saying... Sunny had been complaining about getting undressed in front of her siblings. Sunny's oversized suit muffled the words she was really saying, and it was a word that still haunts me to this, in my dreams to this day, and I toss and turn each night images of Beatrice and her legacy filling my weary, grieving brain to no matter where in the world I travel and no matter what important evidence I discover. It is necessary once more to express the dwarfed in comparison in order to refer to what has happened to Sunny and, and that fatal word out loud. For even though Violet and Klaus could not hear Sunny and what she had said, learned instantly that her, what her sister had meant. For Sunny uttered the word, a long shadow was cast over the Baudelaire's and they looked up to see what was blocking the light. And when they looked, they felt dwarfed by everything about their lives, about their new lives become, oh, every, they felt about everything their lives had become dwarfed in comparison to how trapped they felt. Because the word is, I'm sorry to say, was Olaf. Oh boy. I don't know what that means, but it's scary. I want to go swimming. Okay. Pin's going to go swimming. Bye.